Romans 5, 1 through 5. Paul writes that the result is this. Since we have been declared in the right on the basis of faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus the Messiah. Through him, that is Jesus, we have been allowed to approach by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we celebrate the hope of the glory of God. That's not all. We also celebrate in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces patience. Patience produces a well-formed character, and a character like that produces hope. Hope in its turn does not make us ashamed because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You may know that a little over 10 years ago, Curtis and I were expecting twins who we lost at 20 weeks when I went into preterm labor. The sense of sorrow and loss was terrible. In the midst of that suffering, we were advised by other Christians not to rush grief. Wise advice, if you ask me. These folks knew that there are some hard things that cannot be controlled, though lots of people do try to wrangle it. There are emotions that cannot be put on a timeline, forced to move up and to the right in a linear way until we're all better. So we let ourselves take time. We walked our giant Labrador flop slowly around the neighborhood. The hand wash dishes piled up by the sink. But also, we went to Disneyland. Now, you may not be a Disneyland person. I am a Disneyland person. As with many things in our church, we don't all have to see things the same way, though. But we went not to escape grief, but to practice joy in the midst of suffering. It was a paradox, choosing and chasing joy for the day. Rejoicing in suffering always is. So how do we embrace the paradox of joy and suffering? And why? I'd like to circle back to our verses of the day where Paul says that through Jesus, we've been allowed to approach by faith into grace in which we stand and celebrate the hope of the glory of God. But that's not all. We also celebrate in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces patience. Patience produces well-formed character and a character like that produces hope. Hope in its turn does not make us ashamed because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So as we unpack this a bit, I'd like to start by naming three myths about the paradox of joy and suffering. Three myths that have often come when we explore these very verses of Paul's. And the first is that healing is the same as cured. And that when we're looking for what might happen when our suffering is transformed, we would be looking for cure. Dr. Bethany McKinney Fox writes quite a bit about this in her excellent book, Disability and the Way of Jesus. She talks about how we've created this mythology of a cure as what God wants for us. And yet there's actually something richer when we experience God meeting us in the midst of things that are not all cured. The second myth is that the purpose of suffering well is evangelism. That the only reason suffering is worthwhile is because people will see how we suffer and then they will be converted, which of course leads to pressure towards performative suffering and wouldn't let us necessarily authentically feel whatever pain we're in in the midst of hard things. The third myth is that God is causing suffering in order to grow character. That simply isn't how God works. 
perhaps more accurate to the experience of those in the Bible is the question of where God is since their suffering. And the answer is helping that suffering have a redemptive purpose by inviting the cultivation of character and perseverance and hope. But God is not the one causing the suffering. These myths can often cause us to have a disintegrated relationship with joy. We use it as a distraction or an escape. We turn to joy instead of turning to God because we don't expect to actually find God in the midst of joy. And so then we find that we are in the midst of what I would call a suffering avoidance strategy. A suffering avoidance strategy. We live in a culture that promises that suffering avoidance is the key to personal happiness. And so you should use your resources accordingly. And it feels logical, but it encourages us to pursue any form of suffering avoidance we can. Whether that is spending all of our time binge watching Only Murders in the Building or going out to every sort of fun opportunity that there is around. And any of those things can be great on their own. And yet, we need to be mindful that suffering avoidance fundamentally is a shallow optimism that you can just stay happy by pursuing whatever things make you happy. I hope we can acknowledge that suffering avoidance is not a viable strategy. Life simply does not work that way. A second strategy we might engage when it comes to suffering is cynicism. These myths can foster in us a sense that there is no hope to be found with God or anywhere else. We become like Wesley in The Princess Bride. Life is pain, princess. Anyone who says otherwise is selling something. But instead of suffering avoidance, instead of cynicism, there is a third strategy available to us as it relates to hardship and suffering. The joy paradox. An integrated relationship to joy can lead us into a different direction. One where we notice that God is with us in suffering And God is with us in joy. God with us in all things is a source of hope. And being able to suffer with hope is somewhat mysteriously healing. Healing is our suffering transformed into hope. Last week, Curtis spoke about the markers of God's kingdom, how they echo through the Old Testament, through Jesus's words, And now we find them here in Paul's words in chapter 5. But in verse 3, perhaps surprisingly, Paul introduces the idea that the markers of God's kingdom, including healing, but also God's presence and abundance, that they are accompanied by, perhaps in some way even produced by, something unexpected. Suffering. Now, this was as much a paradox in Paul's day as in our own. N.T. Wright points out that suffering would have most likely been seen as evidence of a God's displeasure with you. But the God we worship is a God who willingly took suffering upon themselves for the sake of the world. And Paul expects his followers to experience the same. While the world might see suffering as evidence that God has abandoned the one who suffers, Jesus confirms for us that we will not be ashamed. We can trust God is present with us through that suffering and that God will make sure that the suffering results not in our destruction, but in our glory. We often ask, why isn't God preventing hardship? 
And I don't want to be dismissive of that question. It's a worthy one. But it can be helpful as we wonder it to bear in mind that it is a relatively new question. Born from having the resources to seemingly eliminate or alleviate suffering at all. But the Bible is told from a context that offered no such privilege. And so it is asking, where is God in the hardship that is inevitable? And answering with all sorts of stories through the whole book, God is with us. As we practice having an integrated relationship with joy, trusting that God is with us in it, as well as with us in the suffering, allowing ourselves to be shaped by this, we will find it produces something substantial within us. And with that in mind, I'd like to unpack just a few of the key words that help us understand what Paul is saying here in these verses in Romans 5. Paul writes that we celebrate in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces patience. Patience produces a well-formed character and a character like that produces hope. The first word to unpack is celebrate. Often in English, it says boast, but that calls to mind sort of a self-advertisement, like we're bragging about the way that we suffer. Celebrate helps call to mind the meaning that this is the grounds for our confidence when we face both the present and the future. Confidence and joy means we celebrate. We celebrate in our suffering, meaning we have ground for confidence when we face both the present and the future. A second key word is patience, that suffering produces patience which calls to mind this idea that we could stay put without dismay. That we often can't escape suffering. Suffering avoidance is not a viable strategy. And that we don't want to turn ourselves to cynicism. Instead, we would have patience. Stay put without dismay. Paul goes on to say, hope in its turn does not make us ashamed because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So two more words here, ashamed and this phrase, the love of God. As it relates to ashamed, Curtis mentioned this word a few weeks ago, how it's not personal embarrassment. It's what someone feels when God has failed to do what God said they would do. So here is this word again. Hope does not make us ashamed. People holding on to something for no reason. Fools for believing that Jesus's resurrection means anything. But Paul is saying, we're not ashamed. We will not be made foolish. And the one sign of that is the love of God poured into our hearts. Love of God here is our love for God, what we feel, given by the Spirit who works in us in the midst of suffering so that we can stay put without dismay and even find that we have hope. Somehow in the midst of all of that, experiencing God with us grows our love for God. So hope is how we come to see that it is not only pain. There is a joy and version that we are allowed to live in. It is not forever pain. There is a very real hope for a very different world. And it is not foolish to hope in the midst of pain. And the experience of our love for God growing even as circumstances are hard testifies to that. Last spring after we were vaccinated, I returned to CrossFit, which is my preferred form of movement. 
You'll find me there most weekday mornings at 5.30. Now, CrossFit, if you're familiar, uh, operates on the belief that suffering produces something. A lot of what we do probably fits the bill. Now, obviously, that kind of suffering is not the kind of suffering we have been unpacking together just now. But I sometimes wonder if we're too quick to say that those concrete experiences of small things, that those don't transfer over into the weightier things. But Jesus might beg to differ. I think about how Jesus tells us to look at birds, to look at flowers. He seems to say that when we see something true in the tangible, small things around us in the world, we can trust that it's even more true in the invisible and inner world. Suffering produces something when we can find a way to be patient in the midst, to stay put without dismay, not turning to suffering avoidance or to cynicism, but embracing a joy paradox where we find we are able to have hope, to trust that we aren't fools, and to even experience the love of God growing within us. And so may you find the love of God filling your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. May you experience otherwise inexplicable hope, even in the face of suffering. Amen.